Good morning, brothers and sisters. I want to start off by saying that I hope that you're having a great Memorial Day weekend. I hope you're getting a lot of rest, much-deserved rest and relaxation, and most important of all, some barbecue. Uh, today, we're going to be continuing our Jesus Said series. And as we get started, I thought it'd be fun. I want to put the Bible into practice in real time. You guys ready for this? Live, in the chat. So get ready to participate. See, there are many things that we feel the need to do every day as Christians, right? But there are only two things that the Bible expressly commands that we do daily. And the first one is to take up our cross in Luke 9:23. But the second one is to encourage one another. The Bible says in Hebrews 3:13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, I know that we have a lot of encouragers out there. You guys are awesome. You send texts, you make phone calls, you write emails, you make social media posts, and you guys really do put this scripture into practice on a daily basis. But I want to do an exercise where we encourage one another here in virtual church in the chat. And so here's what I want to ask you to do in keeping with what we're going to be talking today about. I want you to write in the chat the name of someone who you see as a servant. Someone in your ministry, maybe they're in your small group, but I want you to let us know how you have seen them serve. And it could be whether they've served you or whether you've seen them serve someone else. It doesn't just have to be about something they did for you, but a way you saw them. And this could be something that could be pre-pandemic or maybe it's something that happened during the pandemic. And you can use this format. I want to encourage so-and-so for how they served so-and-so when they did blank. And I want to encourage you right now, go ahead and start writing in the chat, lifting people up, encouraging them, following the Bible here, uh, and lifting them up for being a servant. Let's encourage one another. Now, I am pre-recorded right now, but I want to pull a John Markowski and pretend that I can read this live. I am in the arts ministry after all. And so here we go. Let me look down here in the chat. Wow, I see some amazing answers coming in. That is amazing. Wow, really? They did that? No way. You know, hey, I totally know that brother. He is amazing. She did She did what? Oh, I totally know her too. They are so amazing. All right, I'm going to move on. But feel free to keep it going in the chat as I'm speaking and encourage one another. Doesn't it feel good to encourage someone? And likewise, it feels good to be encouraged. I am inspired by all of you because there are so many selfless servants in our church. You guys are great servants in keeping with what our Lord Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 11, that the greatest among you will be your servant. And that's the main text we're going to be looking at today. Matthew 23, verse 1 through 12. But before you read it, I want to give you some context to set the scene. In the chapter before this, in Matthew 22, there's a series of questions that a group of people, a couple of groups of people, asked Jesus in an attempt to trick him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were two religious sects of Judaism. And so up first, the Pharisees, they asked Jesus question number one. They get together, ask him a question about taxes, a political question, uh, and then he gives a great answer. So they go away. And then round two, question number two, the Sadducees come up asking a question about marriage at the resurrection. Jesus gives them a great answer. They go away, and then it's back to the Pharisees, tossed back to them, question number three. And they give a question about the law. What's the greatest commandment? And we know that interaction. And then Jesus gets his turn, and he asks them a question. 
whose son is the Messiah? And they are stumped. And I love what the Bible says here in Matthew 22, verse 46. It says, no one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus was so wise and knew exactly what questions to ask. And after emerging victorious from this series of skirmishes with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, Jesus takes the opportunity to turn and to teach. And so in Matthew 23, verse 1, the Bible says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is a sobering passage, and as we get started just digging into it, it's important to note that while Jesus has strong words here for these people who were Jewish leaders, it doesn't mean he didn't value them or that this passage could be used to justify anti-Semitism. And we really need to be praying, especially now, for peace in the Middle East, uh, peace really between all people, because as Christians, we love everybody. Jesus himself was Jewish. His audience was Jewish, and the early Christian church was started by Jewish people. In fact, a lot of the drama in the book of Acts was over whether or not Gentiles we're going to be allowed in the church, how they would participate. And I want to give a big shout out to all of our brothers and sisters with Jewish heritage. Chala! In fact, you know, I grew up in this church. And believe it or not, I thought I was Jewish. And my logic as a kindergartner was this. We love Jesus. Jesus was the king of the Jews. He's my king. And so therefore, I must be Jewish. I even convinced my kindergarten teacher, and she was Jewish, so that's an accomplishment. I convinced her that I was Jewish, and she called my mom, asking her to come in to class to share about our holidays. You could imagine the shock and the surprise from my mom, uh, and we all love as parents, right, when our kids come home saying some funny things. You know, but I say all that to say we love Jewish people, and as Christians, our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord, he came from Jewish heritage. We love and we serve all people as Christians. Now, Jesus here was giving a warning to his disciples, and it still serves as a warning for us today. For anyone who is a spiritual leader or who wants to be a spiritual leader, for anyone who wants to be a disciple of Jesus, really, I know when I read this, you know, I think I do not want to be like that. Because great leaders don't add burdens to their people. Great leaders lighten the loads of their people. They don't burden them with no intent to help. And Jesus describes here a double standard. People who have one standard for everyone else, but a different standard for themselves. People who enjoy position and who use their privilege selfishly rather than using their privilege in a way to help others. And I want to really zero in here on verse 5 because Jesus says, Everything they do is done for people to see. 
And it's interesting because really what they wore was for people to see. Jesus talks about phylacteries. You might be reading this and hearing this thing, and what in the world is that? What is a phylactery? A phylactery was a box containing scriptures that would be worn on the head or the arm. And tassels, Jesus says they make their tassels long. Tassels are knotted fringes on prayer shawls that were used to count and keep track of prayers one had recited, almost kind of like a rosary bead or a rosary necklace. You know, they loved places of honor. They loved important seats. They loved to be greeted with respect. And when you look at these things, places of honor, important seats, being greeted with respect, these things are not inherently wrong, right? I know I like, I like some of these things. I'm sure you do too. It's biblical to give honor and respect. And see, wearing a phylactery, it probably came from a literal reading of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8, where it talks about to bind the scriptures on your foreheads. If you remember back to Mother's Day, my daughter Emmy and I sang a song that came out of that same passage, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, this was a great thing, this, that, to follow the scriptures and to bind the scriptures on your foreheads. And so we see in the scriptures even, you know, as far as prayer shawls, that even Jesus wore a prayer shawl. But what's wrong is when our spirituality becomes a show. When we do things to show outwardly, look at how awesome I am. Look at how spiritual I am. Look at how righteous I am. And when we think that way, we have missed the point. And our spirituality becomes sinful. One place that it can be easy to do a lot for others to see today is on on social media. Now, I want to be balanced here. I think there are a lot of great things about social media, and it can be used as a tool for good. But we also have to be careful that we're not just posting to get recognition from others, that we're not like the Pharisees just doing everything for people to see. God makes it clear that he values what is done in secret. You don't have to post about everything you do. You don't have to post everything you think. And I want to encourage you, check your heart when you post. Ask yourself, is this to bring God glory or to bring me glory? Now, I'm not saying don't post anything or don't give life updates or share good news. Just be careful that you're not falling into the trap of the Pharisees, that you're not motivated by the praise of men, but that you are motivated by the praise of God. You know, it's so encouraging to me earlier to see all of the shout outs in the chat. Those people who were mentioned in the chat for their service to others. And what I want to point out is this. They didn't know that they were going to be recognized today. They didn't do those acts of service because on Sunday, May 30th, they they were going to get a shout out in the chat. Some of them were probably surprised about it. Some of them probably forgot that they even did that. You know, they didn't do it for the recognition or for the Insta, for the Facebook post. They did it because they were following Jesus. And we need to do the same. You know, Jesus highlights here three titles in verse 8 through 10. The the titles rabbi, father, and teacher. These titles were common to use for those who taught the law in Jesus' day. And we know from Ephesians 4.11 that there is an ecclesiastical Christ-given role for the teacher. And that it's not wrong to call a biological parent father, right? But Jesus' point here is that we shouldn't use titles to confer status. That one's role doesn't determine one's value in God's kingdom. See, we as people, we tend to be so hierarchical, don't we? We think that the greater one's role, the greater their title, that the greater one's value, that whoever is in charge, that that's who is worth the most. Because people care about titles in this world. We care about who's speaking, who is up front, whether on stage or on screen. You know, we care about, did I get mentioned? Did my name get shouted out? And Jesus says that that is not 
what it's about, that that's worldly thinking. And this is where Jesus says one of his hallmark teachings in verse 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. Jesus here in eight words redefines greatness. And we need to do the same. And that's the first takeaway from this passage I want to focus on. Redefine greatness. What does it mean to be great to you? If you're like me, you want to say and give the spiritual answer, right? To be great, it means being a servant. But the world around us is unabating. We have environmental pressures constantly pushing us and trying to take back the definition of greatness so that in our minds we think greatness means something else than what Jesus said it is. You know, the world tempts us to conform to the views that the world around us has about greatness. Because how does our world define greatness? Our world measures greatness by your intellect or how strong you are, your talents and your abilities, what car you drive, if you even have a car or not, what neighborhood you live in. For teens, what college you get into might determine how your friends think of your greatness. For campus, what your major is or your GPA. For singles, the world measures it by your resume or how much money you make. As parents, right, greatness can be measured by what school your kids get into, what school your kids go to. Uh, they might measure greatness, the world measures greatness by our salary or how much money we make, how much money you have, your net worth, your titles, accolades, accomplishments, the letters behind your name, your position, always being first, being number one. That is how the world measures greatness. And Jesus says, no. That is not how you measure greatness. See, Jesus was the greatest of all time, the goat, if you will. But think about this. Jesus didn't own a car. He walked everywhere. Jesus didn't own a house. Like he says in the scriptures, that foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus didn't own property. Jesus didn't go to a college at all, let alone Ivy League. You know, Jesus didn't earn a six-figure salary. Jesus didn't have any Bitcoin, Ethereum, or Dogecoin. Jesus didn't have a PhD. Jesus was G-O-D. And Jesus lived what he preached. He spent his life serving others. And we're still following him as the greatest today. Not because of some man-given title that he had, or because of how much wealth he accumulated, or because of all the, the, you know, the, the great property that he had. It, it was because of his service. It reminds me of a quote from Braveheart where William Wallace says, men don't follow titles. They follow courage, right? It takes courage to change our definition of greatness, to redefine it, and not to run after the things the world runs after. Because when you redefine greatness, your actions will look a lot different from the people around you. And it takes courage to be different. Now, I want to note this, that the things I mentioned before are not inherently bad, and it's not necessarily sinful to desire them, to pursue education and higher education, to work hard in your career, to get promoted to higher titles, to earn more money. It's not bad to achieve great things by the world's standards, and it's clear from the Bible that it's good and spiritual to desire greatness. However, that cannot be where we get our value from as Christians. We have to redefine greatness. Jesus says that the greatest among you will be your servant. Now, the second takeaway from this passage is that we need to relentlessly serve. As Christians, we serve. This is what we're known for. And we need to be relentless and dauntless in our service. This is something that makes us stand out in the world today. Think about the norm of the world. 
the norm in the world is this, that if you want me to do something for you, that you're going to need to pay me, right? Now, don't get me wrong. There are times as Christians that we need to value each other's professional services and pay for things. I really do believe that. But serving, doing something for someone else, volunteering, donating our time and our efforts to others without thinking about what we can get in return, that is what sets us apart as Christians. Yet so often we allow things to keep us from serving, roadblocks that prevent us from doing the good we know we ought to do. We get weary of doing good, as Galatians 6.9 says. I want to ask you, what prevents you from initiating service to others? A lot of times for me, it's just selfishness. When I'm tired or I'm not feeling like doing something. You know, I remember when I first became a Christian as a teenager, trying to repent of my selfishness, I realized that if I just emptied the dishwasher and started loading it with dirty dishes, my mom would jump for joy. See, I knew what I needed to do. I just needed the courage and the motivation to do it. And here's what I've learned, that you already know what you need to do to serve. And my encouragement to you is this, just do it. It helps me when I'm struggling to dig deep and find the motivation and the energy to serve others and the heart. It helps me to remember that people have done for me so much, what people have done for me in the past. And I realized that they had kids, they had jobs, that they had a lot going on. And yet they still took the time to serve me. And that helps me to dig deep and to serve. It makes me wonder, what would the church look like if every disciple aspired to be a servant? What would our church look like? My question for you is this. Do you come to church to serve or to be served? Is your mindset, what am I getting out of it? Or is your mindset, how can I give in the unique way that God has ordained for me? If you're coming to church to be served, you have missed the point. Your focus is in the wrong place. You have missed the way. Here's what I have noticed. People who are bitter are people who are not engaged in service. But people who are the most joyful are the ones who are actively serving others. As Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I feel so humbled. I know my wife Manami and I are so grateful and humbled to serve alongside some of the greatest in God's kingdom. And I want to say a big thank you to all of the brothers and sisters who work with our youth and family ministry. Because mentoring our youth through the pandemic has been no small task. You know, they've been doing an amazing job through a very challenging time investing in other people's families because they know that that's how to build the kingdom for the long haul and for the future that we really want to build for our children and our children's children and pass on faith to future generations. We have such amazing servants in our ministry. I also want to say thank you to all of our worship ministries. Over the last year, you have stepped up in some very bizarre times, creating virtual worship videos. Guys, who would have thought we'd be doing that, right? We went from singing songs live on Sunday mornings uh, to learning new ways of doing things, submitting videos of yourself singing and playing instruments, That takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, I know from personal experience, but you do it to serve your brothers and sisters and to encourage them, and we are so grateful for the work you do. You know, there are incredible servants all over the church who have found ways to serve even in the midst of the pandemic. In Manhattan, one of the brothers is a chef at a hotel in Midtown, and when a dating couple recently got engaged, this brother used his gifts to cook them a special meal. And another brother used the car that he has to drive that meal up to where the engagement was happening once the other brother cooked it. 
You know, this was before indoor dining was reopened, and I was amazed at how creative they were about using their gifts to serve others. You know, this brother who's the chef, he recently, along with another sister, hosted a virtual cooking class for our arts ministry. And I'm inspired by the creative ways that people find to use their gifts for God, especially during this last year. You know, another thing I think about is how recently my wife and I moved to a new apartment back in December. I was so moved and grateful to so many brothers who came to help us with the move. And likewise, when my parents moved recently, I was so grateful to be there, you know, pulling things off the moving truck and to watch as just car after car pulled in. And it was brothers from West New Jersey who showed up to help my parents. And I was so grateful for them. I'm sure many of you have been on the receiving end of help with a move. And you've also been the ones who have gone to help others when they were moving. Because that's what we do as Christians. We serve to meet physical needs, to meet emotional needs, and to meet spiritual needs. We serve the poor, we serve those who are seeking God, and we serve one another. We help each other through this life. When babies are born, setting up meal trains, to when people have a death in the family, helping cover the cost of the funeral, we serve from the beginning of life to the end of life and everything in between. Let's serve relentlessly. And don't let the roadblocks and excuses stop you from what the Spirit of God is prompting you to do. Now, for some, helping with a move right now is realistic. But for others, because of health reasons, that's not an option for them. And I want to encourage you to have grace on yourself and on others, because serving may look different now depending on your situation. But pray that God's Spirit will guide you to ways that you can serve. God is amazing at lining up true servants with needs that they can help to meet. And he gives us exactly what we need to do the job he has lined up for us. The things that I mentioned earlier, think about those things like cars. God has given you cars, money, jobs, your education level, your experience, houses, apartments. God has blessed you with gifts. How can you use what God has blessed you with to serve him and to advance his kingdom? Now, many of you are already doing it, and I want to encourage you to keep on doing it. But I love what Jesus says here in Matthew 23, because it means that anyone can be great because anyone can serve. As we focus on communion this morning, Jesus makes a very similar statement about service a few chapters earlier in Matthew 20, verse 26 through 28. Jesus says, not so with you, talking about the rulers of this world, how they lord things over the, the people around. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This Memorial Day weekend, as we're spending time with family, relaxing, barbecuing, as we think about people who gave their lives, men and women who gave their lives in service to our country, I want to encourage us to remember that all sacrifice points to Jesus and to his sacrifice on the cross. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life the ultimate act of service as a ransom for many, to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves, to take away our sin. Let's go to God in prayer. Our God and our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning to praise you as the greatest of all time. We praise you for how you love us. We praise you for how you serve us continually. And we want to thank you for Jesus and his example of servanthood. 
We pray to imitate him and to walk in his footsteps. God, as we take communion, we pray to reflect on Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross, the ultimate act of service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.